Welcome, everyone. I am Candace Shalou-Hodge. I'm the uh, founder and editor of Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Uh, we do have um, with us as our guest, uh, Reverend Paul Turner. He is the... Um, Senior Pastor of Gentle Spirit Christian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He founded that in 1998, so uh, the 10th anniversary is coming up. Congratulations, Paul. Thank you. (laughs) And he has uh, more than 20 years of experience. He's been in Atlanta since January 1st of 1994, and he's been at the forefront of leadership and activism for the gay, lesbian, bi, and transgender community with a long list of things that he has done and uh, issues that he's been involved in, including uh, getting the Olympics out of Cobb County back in 1996, which was a big old thing. And um, he is also the uh, corporate vice president for Whosoever, and he does a column for us called Seeds of Hope. And he and his partner celebrated their 25th anniversary on June June 2007. That is fabulous. And we'll be hearing from Paul in just a minute, but I wanted to – did everyone get to download the, the booklet? Yes, I did. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, I did want to bring our attention to the booklet, um, to the to the first uh, chapter here, just talking a little bit about Bible history. Because before we start talking about the Bible and what it says, we ought to know a little bit about where it came from. And and many people have these weird ideas about, uh, about the Bible. I, uh, I drove up behind a car in Atlanta one year, and it had on the bumper sticker that said, if it ain't KJV, it ain't Bible. <laughs> And I thought, well, there go the original autographs. I wanted to pull up and go, 1611, brother. But I don't think he would have even understood, you know, that 1611 was when actually when the King James Version of the Bible was produced. So so people have these odd ideas about where the Bible came from. It fell out of the sky, written in perfect uh, old English. But the Hebrew Scriptures really were written over a period that spanned from 1800 BCE to 165 BCE. And the first Hebrew canon was finalized in 96. CE by the Council of Jamnia, and so the Old Testament is, in a word, very old. So we have to uh, take into account its age, we have to take into account the culture back then, and uh, this is what we do when we do exegesis. We actually examine the history of the scripture, we find out what it meant to those who were reading it way back then, before we even think about how it might still apply to us today. Now, when we do proof texting, and uh, when those folks who tell us that uh, Leviticus condemns us or the story of Sodom and Gomorrah condemns us, that's what we're doing. We're talking about proof texting, and that's something called eisegesis. And that approaches the scripture with this preconceived idea of what you're going to find there. And that is abuse of the scripture, and that is what's been done to us to abuse us. They First they abuse the scripture, and then they use the scripture to abuse us by reading in these modern-day ideas about homosexuality and these modern-day ideas about what culture is all about that the ancient Hebrews would never even recognize. So with that, with just that little bit of background, I do want to turn it over to Paul. Um, we'll start with uh, Genesis 19 here at Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know this story well, and it's been used against us so many times. Paul, please tell us why Sodom and Gomorrah is not a story of condemnation for gays and lesbians. Okay, well... You know, I, 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 I want to preface it by saying that out of all the the passages in Scripture that is generally used against us, that they're fondly referred to as the slaughter passages, this actually is probably the weakest 
uh, arguments for condemning homosexuality. And in, in, one of the things that you have to do with Scripture is to read it in context and to um, make sure you know who the audience is and who were the writers and, and, and what was the history, in other words, what was going on at that time. So the, the first thing that happens with the Sodom and Gomorrah story is, well, first of all, sodomy wasn't even used as a term till very late um, in, in writings. But So that kind of, you know, that, that makes people think that, okay, this has got to have to do with homosexuality when they're using a term that wasn't even, wasn't even part um, of Scripture. But I guess the thing that you need to do, first of all, is back up. Uh, on this story and find out how did these people come to be in Lot's house to begin with? I mean, how did they end up at his front door? And if you back up a, a, a chapter, um, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm doing this and I haven't got I haven't got the Bible in front of me, so I don't know. it's either a chapter. <laughs> you <or> heathen. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? You know, so you have to go back to Genesis eighteen sixteen through thirty. There you go. There you go. And <laughs> at that point, God had decided that Sodom and Gomorrah were just horrible towns to begin with. As a matter of fact, the, the story tells us that the cry against Sodom was reaching God's ears. And God decided, well, you know, I'm not sure I can trust my ears at, at my age, so I'm going to send some people to investigate. I'm going to send these angels. Well, then in the process of all of that, um, he decided, or God decided, that if this were true, then, then the cities would be destroyed. Well, in the process of that, now you've got Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of the nations. This is God's hand picked uh, person to lead the Israelites. And God decides that, well, you know, maybe I ought to at least tell Abraham what's what's, what's happening. Did, Has joined the conference. Something? Go ahead. I think um, Marion think Marion got disconnected. He's joined us again. Okay. And um, so at that point, um, God and Abraham have this conversation and and it and and I tell you when you read the story it reads like a kid trying to get out of the house and mom saying no until the chores are done because Abraham has the audacity to question God's love for God's creation and says look you know you're you're going to you're going to wipe out these cities and what if there's a hundred innocent people there are are you going to destroy them right along with all the bad folk. And God at that point says, well, no, of course not. If there's a hundred uh, people there that are, are, are righteous, then, then I'm, I, I'll spare the cities. And Abraham, being the perfect teenager at that point, now sees an opening. And the next words out of Abraham's mouth is, well, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be too pushy here, but what if there's only 50? God replies, well, you know, for the sake of the 50, I'll spare the city. And the long and short of that is, as you read through that story, Abraham finally gets God down to 10. 
As a matter of fact, he, you can almost picture him on his knees, kind of half looking at God, going, Now, look, you know, I know that I've pushed this about as far as I can push it, but what if there's only ten? And God says, For the sake of the ten, I won't destroy the city, and leaves. Now, you know, when you're reading that story, it's pretty obvious that that's the end of the conversation. Abraham has pushed it as far as he's going to push it, and God has listened to as much as God is going to listen to. However, what you need to realize is that everybody went to bed that night happy, especially Abraham, because he's got four relatives over there in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he's, he's, he's got his, uh, his cousin, I think it was, Lot, and then Lot's wife and two daughters. So let's see, let's do the math. Uh, four righteous people. That means we've only got to find six righteous people out of thousands of people. I've saved the cities. My job is done. I'm going to bed. So now we turn our attention to the cities. And that's where the story now that gets quoted at us most of the time is picked up. And that is the fact that the angels have shown up at Lot's house. And you you also have to understand in the historical contents of the story, Lot is kind of on the edge with these people anyway, because he is not of them. So there's just kind of always this running controversy and curiosity about who Lot is and what he's about and, and what's this God that he's praying to and so forth and so on. And so when these strangers show up, they immediately surround the house and they want to know who he is. Who, who are these people? And, 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 and we want to know them. Now, this is where it gets kind of controversial, folks. Um, matter of fact, I was reading somewhere today, Candace, and you can jump in on this, because I was, it was either in the uh, packet that you downloaded mm-hmm. um, or I read it someplace else where they were talking about the fact that this this phrase that's used in the Old Testament, send these fellows out so that we may know them. Yeah. Um, it, we've kind of translated that as, as being sexual. Um, when I've taught the course on homosexuality in the Bible before, the, at least some of the stuff, the, the research that I've done, um, this phrase that translates as to know them... Um, is used throughout the scripture, and there's at least ten instances um, where it's kind of translated in a sexual sense. And a matter of fact, as we've moved into modern times, you know, um, you'll you'll hear about people dating, and and the friend will ask somebody, "By the way, um, I mean, you went out with so and so. Did you get to know them in the?" Well, you know, the biblical, the biblical sense. sense. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, did you get to first base, second base? You know, you hit a home run. <laughs> you know, so we've just kind of through the centuries have taken that phrase and decided that it was sexual. And and to kind of keep this short so that everybody can get in with their questions, I, in this in sake of simplicity, let's presuppose that that's exactly what it meant. That. They wanted these angels sent out to them so that they could investigate them um, and and do alien torture to them and probe them sexually. <laughs> That's got nothing to do with homosexuality, folks. That's rape. 
You know, any time that that uh, you use power and control to touch somebody in a sexual manner, it is what we understand as rape. It's what they understood as rape. And, of course, rape really has nothing to do with um, anything sexual. It's, it's, a, it's about power and control. The other reason that we kind of think this story has something to do with the fact that it was sexual and therefore rape is the fact that Lot offered his two daughters. Uh, in place. But again, you've got to understand the history of the Old Testament, and you've got to understand the history of Judaism at that point, and, and what their laws were about. And first and foremost was that the the law of hospitality was like the highest law. And when when you had a guest in your house, excuse me, you protected them at all costs. Secondly, Women in those days were nothing more than property. And this is why sometimes you get into an argument about whether or not Lot understood that these angels were about to be raped. Because he offered up, essentially, two pieces of property Mm. in an effort to protect the guests in his home. And, of course, um, as the story goes, and you're all familiar, um, they weren't too happy with that and they tried to break down the door, at which point the uh, the angels strike a blind, slam the door, and uh, it goes from there. But I hope that you can see from what I've just described that when we're talking about the Bible speaking against homosexuality, this is probably the weakest out of out of all the arguments that they could have, because minimally, we're talking about rape. and And at worst... We're, we're missing the point that Sodom and Gomorrah were already condemned and that, that the, the response of the, the townsfolk to these guests was just absolutely atrocious. So if there was a straw that broke the camel's back, this was it. Because on top of everything else that I'm hearing about you folks, now... You even treat your guests badly. You're inhospitable. You're you're going to cause them harm. How's that, Reverend? <laughs> That's good. So so the the deal was already sealed, and so it wasn't the, the the gang showing up at Lot's door that that caused Sodom and Gomorrah to be uh, to be destroyed. It was that uh, he couldn't find ten righteous people. Yeah. Yeah. So it you know, it, it, it it's kind of like if you think about. Um, how riots get started. And, and I mean, that's what this was about um, in, in one sense. It was, I think today, even if, if we had an entire town surround a house and they started the pushing and shoving and send those people out, I mean, anybody that's from the South, I think that's pretty much how lynchings happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, there's, a, there's a book, if you, if you folks want to get into, like, the real deep, exegesis of uh, that really gives good historical background and why the Bible doesn't condemn us. I, I really recommend Rick Brentlinger's Gay Christian 101 book. It's just come out, and his uh, website is gaychristian101.com, and um, I highly recommend that you all go there because when, it, when I got his book, I thought, oh, another one on Bible and homosexuality. But this is like a treasure trove of, of you know, what 
people throughout history have said about the passages that have been used against us and the and the history really of how they came to be used against us and how in ancient times they weren't. And I thought it was fascinating in his book. He talks about um, Dr. Robert Gagnon. Or is anyone familiar with him? I've heard of him. Yeah, he's the he's the big ex-gay. I mean, he he writes he yeah. writes horrible stuff about gays and lesbians. Um, but Brentlinger points out that um, even even Robert Gagnon um, says that uh, the the Sodom story uh, is about inhospitality and social injustice. He concedes that ascribing uh, ascribing homosexual motives to the men of Sodom is conjecture. So the leading anti-gay Christian scholar of our day is admitting that ascribing homosexual motives to the men of Sodom is conjecture. And that's, you know, something that's based on guesswork. And and so he even says himself that that this story can't be used against gays and lesbians. So I think that's a a huge step and something that, that ought to be heartening to us. Are there any questions for Paul on, on this particular scripture? I just wanted to add that um, even if we take the text literally and not contextually, uh, we would have to assume that all of the men of Sodom were gay. Mm-hmm. It's on its face. And secondly, if they were gay, why would the two virgin daughters be an inducement to them? Very true. So, so either we just take it literally, forgetting the context, of course you shouldn't do. But in any case, it's, it's not about gay people at all. On that basis alone. Right. Well, and one of the things that that you can add to that, because um, I think you make a really uh, good point. You, this this story, you you just really have to to stretch your understanding of sexuality in general um, to to buy it as 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 a, a condemnation of homosexuality. But the other thing that I've always found interesting is when you see Sodom and Gomorrah referred to um, later and in, in different parts of, of biblical text, never once is the rape brought up. Mm-hmm. Never once is this incident brought up as the reason for their destruction. The reason for their destruction has always been um, in, including the words of Jesus the, about inhospitality, the way the widows were were treated. Um, you know, uh, following up on, on what you just said, um, can you imagine if if these men, and if it was just men that showed up? Because remember, Scripture is also uh, written from a very uh, heavily um, um, male bias. You know, the language is very masculine, and all the words are masculine. So, even when you just read it, you know, it it asks you to assume a lot. And Mm -hmm. as you were saying, if you take it literally, you're being asked to accept that it was the men. Well, where were the women? Would not the women have been curious, or were they hiding, you know, on, on, on the edge of the city, hoping that maybe for once these guys who are apparently really bad guys uh, weren't going to beat the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and and there's the the parallel story in Judges 19, where the the Levite is in uh, Gibeah and with his slaves and concubine, and you know, and hospitality is shown, and then the there's a crowd at the door. Um, you know that that the the concubine is sent out and raped all night, and he slices her into twelve pieces and sends each one to the tribe of Israel. You know, triggering war. And and if you're going to read Sodom, the Sodom story, and go, well, this condemns homosexuality for all eternity, why doesn't Judges 19 condemn heterosexuality for all of eternity? It's the same story, only with a heterosexual slant. So so you can't you can't have it both ways. <laughs> if if Lot is a story about how bad homosexuals are, then the story about the Levite is how bad heterosexuals are. So maybe at least the Bible has evened things out. The score is even at this point. <laughs> well, and and one other thing that I'll add before we slide into the 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 next section here, because this is kind of a segue into how we have to understand the the sexual culture. Um, in that day, um, again, if women were they were they were just considered property. So therefore, um, also in the the uh, procreation phase of things, they were nothing more than incubators. Right. Uh, the men carried the seed. Um, you can go a little bit later on um, in in uh, the Genesis and, and read the story of Onan and part of. Uh, you know, the culture in that day was that if a woman was married to a Jewish fella and the Jewish fella died and the woman had not uh, produced babies, she was barren, then the next oldest brother who was single was required to marry the woman. And that's so that he could plant the seed so that they could have, um, you know, uh, the 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 name, or not the name, but the family go on and so forth and so on. And in the story of Onan, um, this wonderful little fella, and by the way, and don't faint, Candace, uh, because I'm quoting a scripture here that for years and years and years was used um, to stop men from masturbating as, as young kids. Ah, uh, yes, Onanism, yes. Yeah, and the, and the quote that that the out of text quote that was always used was that it was better to put the seed in the belly of a whore than to let it fall on the ground. And the, thinking behind that again, so take it to the brothel instead of letting you masturbate. Right, exactly. Well, you know, my father, you know, um, uh. quoted that same scripture to me, and of course, by the time I got to college and come home and had read the story and knew the truth, uh-huh. I announced the truth of that scripture to the entire family around Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I'm sure that went over well. <laughs> oh, my grandmother just wanted to know when I was going to go back to school and then come home. <laughs> but the whole point was that, that Onan, um, his brother died, and he goes to do the deed, and in the middle of doing the deed, all of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute, if he does this, He's not going to get the land. He's not going to get the bounty. And so he pulls out and shoots everything on the ground, whereby God strikes him dead. Mm. So again, I think that that's important, as we're going to slide into this next section, that we understand that that, that women, and I mean, this 
I have a hard time saying it. Women were less than nothing mm -hmm. for these folks at this point. And for fundamentalists, they for basically themselves. are. <laughs> they still and, are. And for, so for a man to behave like a woman would get him in a lot of trouble. And so that's the other piece that, that comes out here, um, which is why I personally have always thought um, that, that this Sodom and Gomorrah story really was not about sex at all. It was always about power and control, because mm -hmm. if they were really interested in sex and they were really all that horny, um, then they'd have taken whatever was given to them. Yeah, but they were they were more in a position of 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 wanting to dominate Lot, who was already a stranger in their midst, and now they have these two guests who they don't know and they don't trust. And by God, we're going to put them in their place. So, are there any other more qu other questions on the Sodom story? If not, we'll move on to Leviticus. Hearing none, I vote we move on to Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus 18.22 and also Leviticus 20.13. Basically, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with a womankind. It is an abomination. Tell us about that, Paul. Well, I, I want to ask the group a question, first of all. Um, what do you all know about the book of Leviticus? Anybody want to just tell me what this book is, why it's there? I interpret it as being um, um, primarily a list of um, the mosaic, mosaic car, uh, including the mosaic laws um, from which Christians are absolved, but in any case, mosaic laws to separate uh, the children of Israel from the surrounding tribes and to keep them separate, holy, quote-unquote. Okay. Anybody else? It's a holiness called... Uh, that was that was used by the uh, people of Levites, the Levites. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Um, I'm not sure who the second speaker was, but you've got it. It's really a combination between the first and second speaker that answered that question, but it's really right on the money to say that the book of Leviticus is a holiness code that was written and designed for the Levite priests. So the whole book, to begin with, um, is about keeping oneself ritualistically pure. Now, why would you suppose that I would want to make that distinction? Anybody? <laughs> well, if you, the way I would take it would be that it's designed for the Levitical priests, for the Holiness Code. It's not designed for, uh, for us, for example. That's number one. They, these the priests have been set aside, so this is not for the common people. This is not um, for the folks who are out in the fields every day. This is not designed for the shepherds. This is designed for the people, if you will, in a modern sense, that are going to be leading worship, who are going to be caring for the temple, 
and you know, in in that day, the temple had to be um, pure and undefiled. And so, that's the first thing. The second thing that needs to be considered here is what I talked about earlier, and that is this this whole idea of how they handled sexuality. And at the very minimum, the the Levite priests as well as as the Jewish people were going to be pushed away from anything that didn't procreate, that didn't allow a child to be born. And given the fact that a woman, again, was just simply the carrier, then where the, the male planted that seed becomes incredibly important. And that means that the, recept, the receptacle if you will, for a lack of a better way to say that, um, only becomes important in the fact that it can carry um, this life to term. So when you get to this particular scripture, um, and, and they lift it out, and they say, but it says, man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. Okay, let's be logical about this. It's not homosexuality that's the problem the problem is is that the man is being a woman and if you're and, and a matter of fact the whole culture in those days um, because they didn't understand homosexuality the way we understand homosexuality um, <laughs> the, the whole culture in those days then if, if you were the, the aggressor or you were the top for a lack of, again, a lack of better way of saying that, or the insertive partner, then you were fine because you were doing what a man should do. But to be on the receiving end of things, then you as a male would begin to take on behaviors that was womanly. And therefore, they were going to frown on that. And they were especially going to frown on that with the priests. So again, when you sit here and say, okay, here is the ultimate problem with homosexuality, because God has said it's an abomination. Well, okay, but it was also an abomination. Um, you know, I always had fun when I do this in class. I always pick on the, the, the best-dressed guy in the, in the, in the class and, and ask him what his uh, shirt is made out of. And uh, it always got screwed up for me, especially in the 80s, because the guy would look at me and go, well, it's polyester. <laughs> you know. And what I was trying to get at was that you might have on a cotton shirt and, and, and you might have a, a wool sweater on. And, and the fact of the matter was that in the same book, uh, Leviticus, that to wear clothing of mixed fiber um, was, was an abomination. Uh, women if they were to uh, participate um, in any way with the man seven days prior to their menstrual cycle and seven days after, then they would make the, the man or whoever they touched or whatever they touched would be considered richly impure. Impure, I'm sorry. Um, in addition to that, um, you couldn't cut your hair. In addition to that, there were certain foods that you couldn't eat. Um, and it's very interesting that in today's world, we have conveniently 
explained away every one of those prohibitions as saying, "Oh well, we're Christian now. We don't we don't pay attention to the the Levitical code, except this one, <laughs> except that one there, because well, you know." And quite frankly, the reason I think that that most straight people hang on to Leviticus is because of their their um, their what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, it just it just it just left me. This is the problem with getting old. You're having a senior moment. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, they don't feel very good about their sexuality. In other words, they're they're not very confirmed in who they are. And so they pick this one verse and say, we can explain all this other stuff away. Because, you know, the food thing, the dietary laws, well, you know, that was God helping them out before we knew that pork, you know, was bad for you. And, and all of this other stuff, that was just all about church and that was all about temple. But... I'm really not concerned. I'm really concerned about two men doing it. And here's the verse that I'm going to live with. (laughs) I always tell people that if you want to take Leviticus at its word, that's fine. But then I expect to see you living the Levitical Code. Because you can't, you wouldn't sign a contract, any of you that are that are listening to this, you would never sign a contract and say, okay, I'm on board, based on one sentence, would you? No. <laughs> and so we we have the same kind of, of, of thing going on here. Now, we can get into, you know, a whole big, long conversation um, about... What does the word abomination mean, and and all of that kind of stuff? But again, if you look at this in context, the Book of Leviticus is a book of worship. It is aimed at the Levitical priests to keep them ritually pure for the duties and occupation of what they would be doing in the temple. Now, over the years, you know, um, you know, you hear about Jewish people that eat kosher, and that kind of comes out of this this same um, out of these same codes but even even within Judaism even within Judaism they have set the book of Leviticus aside in the, in the modern world that, that we live so to throw this at people who are gay um, again um, not only is it inconsistent um, but it's really kind of hypocritical because if you don't want me going to bed with a man that's fine then make sure you never have sex with your wife seven days before she menstruates. <laughs> Don't ever eat any shrimp. Don't eat any pork. And God forbid that you would have on clothing that contains more than one seam. I'm done now. Okay. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? That's really beautifully put. I was just looking through um, Rick Brentlinger's book here. He talks about the uh, definition of abomination, and it it sort of dovetails into the First Kings references, uh, where he talks. He's talking about the the word conveys the idea of a forbidden action connected to idolatry. And that's really the the, the thrust, uh, so to speak, of 
First Kings fourteen twenty four and fifteen twelve, where you're talking about uh, shrine temple prostitution and the rituals that that uh, went on there, um, and so there was. Uh, uh, men having sex with men, women with women, uh, heterosexual sex as well. And again, it's just that it really is making the point that you know the the, the Jewish people uh, are different and they are set aside, and this is not something that they should be uh, participating in. Um, these are uh, temple prostitutes. Uh, some translations actually use the word sodomites or kadesh, um, and so this is what is being condemned. If we if we look at, at the the two passages in First Kings, you're not talking about homosexuality as we know it today. You're not talking about uh, two men or two women who fall in love and want to get married. Um, you're talking about shrine prostitution where people were in the agrarian culture that they were in believed that if they went to the temple and had sex with the priests there in the temple that God would bless their whatever God they were honoring would would bless their crops for that year. So this was a fertility rite. This is not talking about um, uh, homosexuality as we know it today and um, and Leviticus has also been interpreted with the backdrop of shrine temple prostitution that uh, if you should not lie with a, a man as you do with a woman um, don't go be having sex with the temple prostitutes because that's not the tradition that you are in that is not the God that you worship the God we worship is the one God and um, that again was a, a prohibition to, to remain within the chosen nation of Israel and not wander out into the other cultures and you bring up a good point, uh, Candace, because um, as you get into the New Testament and and you read uh, Paul's whole diatribe uh, in 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 Romans, and he's talking to these folks about all the altars that they've built. They've built the altar to this. They've built the altar to that. Mm-hmm. And then he gets incredibly sarcastic at one point and says, "You've even built an altar to the unknown God." Right. Just in case. Just in case we missed anybody. <laughs> And, and Paul's point, just as, as Candace was making this point, is that for the, for the Jewish folks at this time, they were monotheistic. They didn't have multiple gods. As a matter of fact, when you, when you look back into the creation story, you know, you, there's, there's just all kinds of places where God says, I'm a jealous God, and you're not to have any other gods before me. Now, I've always thought it was kind of funny, and I always um, managed to get myself into a lot of trouble with those people who are very conservative when I say, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder why God was acknowledging God, mm-hmm. other gods, if God is the only God, you know. So, again, you, you're talking about a people that are living in and amongst a group of people that have just based on what their faith was, based on the faith of Abraham and Moses, had just gone off the deep end with how they were going to make the gods happy so that they could have crops and water, and and quite frankly, um, to keep them from being destroyed by other raiding war parties. You know, if you keep the gods happy, then maybe we won't get beat up, and maybe we won't get our village killed or burned to the ground, or whatever the case might be. So, and, and I just bring that up, because it's kind of important that 
we don't do what we accuse straight folks of doing um, when they condemn us by taking stuff out of context. Leviticus actually has a context here, and you can see Levitical code being railed against um, by uh, Christ's disciples, most notably Peter and, and, and then again Paul, you know, in, in how they reach out to the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles is exactly who Leviticus was trying to protect uh, the Jews from in all of their practices. Well, Paul and Ken, just, uh, this is Andy, by the way. Oh, uh, hey, Andy. Hi. 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 Snuck in on us. The first, first part because of, of some static, but I, I, I've gone, I've gotten most everything. <laughs> uh, I certainly have my opinions, but what, what are your opinions on um, on Leviticus? Uh, it's still a value, or, or is it still a value to have it part? Of, or should we tear it out for a Bible? Um, okay, Andy, I'm going to get in real trouble with you, I bet. <laughs> because you might. Well, because as of last week, I told everybody to go out and buy a red-letter edition of the Bible, tear out the red letters, put it in a notebook, and throw out everything else. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're in trouble with Andy now. <laughs> because if, you, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then that's where the conversation ought to start. Sure. Um, but, to answer your question, I think that Leviticus is important to us from a historical um, point of view. I don't think that you can have your faith and not understand your history. And, 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 but the problem with Leviticus is that it causes us a problem because we try to turn it into law. And it and it's really not. I don't even think that when we put the Bible together, when it was the Council on Nicaea, and they decided, mm-hmm. you know, and as we've gone yeah. on and we've decided to include the Old Testament, I don't think that the thinking uh, on the part of the folks that that included that in the Christian Bible included the Book of Leviticus because this was the law that we were going to live by. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think it has value, but I think it's 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 really value. From a historical uh, a point of view, it, it it gives us some understanding what they were up against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Maybe. in that regard, I would keep it, but yeah, just not put so much weight on it. Sure, sure. Well, they did survive. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know all that they all the dietary law. Um, uh, and hygiene rules um, to survive back then, but they they survived, whereas some of the uh, neighbors did not. So, well, I always figured the the prohibition against things like pork and fish were were basically because the the Hebrews learned that you know they didn't keep they went bad. I mean, this, these were these were centuries before the idea of refrigeration. You know that that if right. you eat enough raw bad shellfish, you die. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of the the whole idea that they figured out um, without all of our modern scientific technology yeah. that shellfish are basically bottom feeders. Yeah. Um, 
and, 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 and pigs or pork or what we call pork, I'm not sure that they would have referred to. I, I'm not even sure, Andy, if in that day they would have differentiated um, between pork and beef. Mm. Yeah. Um, because in Scripture, they, they talk about the cloven hoof. Oh. And, and, and somewhere along the line, they figured out that if, if you cook this stuff and then you try to salt it or you know, preserve it, um, there were people dying. Yeah. Well, I figured there were there were probably too many people dying. And how do you make a, a, a society that, um, that that reveres its God actually listen to um, a, 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 basically what is a health edict? Well, you say it came from God. <laughs> yeah. God says don't eat this. <laughs> and you didn't need to procreate. I mean, they needed lots of people and lots of soldiers. Yeah. Yep. to survive. And, um, so, they well, you know, it's and, and it's really interesting, too, that, that whole idea of procreation, because as you get, um, uh, you know, when you when you start studying history and, and the Roman Empire comes into um, into play here, uh, one, of, one, of, one of the historians referred to Julius Caesar as a husband to all women and a wife to all men. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know and and obviously the translation there was well okay he was doing his manly duty with the women um, and he was also playing the part of a woman so again their whole understanding of sexuality and the way that we understand sexuality um, is is I mean it's it's it, it's at opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and, and what are the problems that you would have, Andy, if we were to take Leviticus and give it too much weight as opposed to all the rest of Scripture? Because when, you, when people do that, they literally lift Leviticus out of the other 66 books, you know, to try and make their case. And as much as you can't take one sentence of Scripture... I think that you do yourself a disservice when you lift one entire book also out of context, yeah. and you take it out of historical context, and you don't uh, talk about all of those things. I think that, that Leviticus, you could probably um, make an argument, is has as important a place as, as Genesis does. But then... You know, if we're going to sit here and, and talk about okay, what Bibles are most or what books in the Bible are most important, I, maybe we could throw out numbers because that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know that I've heard many sermon, sermons at all. I'm probably less than I could count on one hand uh, from Leviticus based on any other scriptures, let, let alone the, the one about. Um, uh, lying with a man as with a woman, people just aren't people aren't pre aren't preaching that yet. They take it as a uh, weapon. Yeah. Right. So what's your? Again, what? I think that that comes back to you're gonna when when you are. I finally thought of my word, Candace. Oh, go ahead. When you're <laughs> yeah, when you're insecure. There you go. About how you feel concerning sexuality then you're going to grab any little thing that you can that will somehow help you affirm who you are. 
and and I really think that you know most of the most of the arguments when people matter of fact I got an email just the other day um, from somebody off the uh, I don't know whether they saw Seeds of Hope or they were at the whosoever uh, webzine, but said, how can I be in favor of gay gay marriage um, if uh, God sees homosexuality as an abomination? And you know, you, you could tell by the words that they used where they went. They went to Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and most of the time, that's the argument that I will get from people they say it very, you know, Pastor, I want to believe you. I want to believe that I'm really okay with God. But look, this passage says specifically. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I guess we're going to be doing another teleseminar when we get into the... The, the New Testament, Testament, yeah. Yeah. But actually, Leviticus is, in fact, the only place out of the 66 books that we find in the Bible that actually kind of, sort of says that having anal intercourse with, if you're a man, with another man is probably not a cool thing. (laughs) It's the only place. Now, you know, every place else, we've either got misinterpretations or we've got stories that have been twisted um, to make a point. So I kind of sort of understand when when people sit there and go, but it says. Because for those people that want to take the Bible as the inerrant word of God, and that this is God speaking, it makes them a little nervous at that point because, well, it does say that. But again, just like when you sign a contract or when you do worship services, um you know, uh, we live in a day and age now where most people, um, male or female, if they've moved along a little bit, um, when God is referred to as Father, they do kind of a translation in their head, and it doesn't automatically uh, translate out as this old guy with a really long white beard. And and you've got the the you've got to do the same thing. With, with some of this cultural stuff. And, and maybe that's more important than anything else, is that, that to understand the book of Leviticus and what it's saying is to understand the culture of the Jewish people at the time. Yeah. I think, too, a lot of people, um, uh, homophobic people that I deal with, uh, they equate the Bible with God. Yes. Yeah, well. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God. And unfortunately, they see them as being equivalent. And I, 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 I like to tell people, uh, you know, that the Bible is like a finger. It mm-hmm. points to a couple of the many dimensions of God. And if I ask you where you live and you point in a certain direction, and I keep staring at your finger, I don't know everything about your finger. I'll know the shape, <laughs> size, your fingerprint, everything. But it won't take me one bit closer knowing where you live. Right. So, right. you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people, even non-homophobic Christians, uh, equate the Bible uh, with God himself, or herself. Sorry, Candace. <laughs> That's all right. God, God, God transcends gender. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> In God, there is no male or female. <laughs> um, 
Does anyone else have any questions? Andy, I was I was interested to hear your take on Leviticus. Can we expect a sermon soon on Leviticus? <laughs> Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of funny because there's probably two books, well, actually three. Um, I'm, I'm not much of an Old Testament preacher to begin with, um, but I've always said that there are, are two books of, of Scripture that you will absolutely never hear me preach on. Leviticus is one of them. Can anybody take a guess of those of you who know me? Numbers? Huh? Numbers? <laughs> Well, that's Old Testament. I'm oh, okay. About in the New Testament. <laughs> no. Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I won't touch it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, when you, it it takes, you know, they often said that to accept the 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 Word of God or the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, and when you start to argue with these folks and say, Nah, you know, it doesn't make sense. There's there's too many contradictions and yada 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 yada. And they sit there and they go, oh, but it takes faith. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, if I have to accept the things that are said in Revelations and 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 the contradictory stuff that's in there and 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 wild dream interpretation that happens in that book, if I have to accept that on faith, and I have to accept that in order to be uh, acceptable to God, then I'm in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. As would I would imagine that that most folks are. Yeah. Were there any other questions or comments? I'd like to hear from some of the other folks that were here. I mean, has this been helpful? Did it answer questions or did it raise questions? And we've still got a little time. We can cover more stuff. Well, personally, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. Carlton or Marion, um, do you have any specific questions for us? Well, I was a member of MCC back in the 70s, so I've already heard most of this, but I wanted to refresh your course. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But I, I was looking to see if there, you know, I heard anything I hadn't heard before. And... Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this this topic, um, in 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 my opinion, has sort of been done to death. Uh, you know, that that folks like folks like yourselves who have heard this stuff over and over and over again. Still, when we offer an event like this, you, you show up um, the the Bible and homosexuality page on, on whosoever is by far the page that is visited the most, and it's very interesting to me that that we still, even though we may reach this level where we're okay with ourselves, we understand that God loves us and God made us this way, and being gay is okay, and God is not uh, going to spit us out, and we're not abominations, but we still have to. Come back. We still really need this assurance that that we, that we really are okay with the Bible, and that the Bible really doesn't condemn us. Um, I really would love to hear your thoughts on that. Why you think it's still so very important for us as gay and lesbian Christians to to feel that 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 we are accepted in the Bible? Are you asking me that? Or you I'm asking the group that. Anyone who has a thought. Okay. I personally believe that um, the Bible has been so misused by many mendacious clergy 
uh, that they're directly responsible uh, for the suicides, assaults, mm-hmm. and murders, countless numbers of GLBT people. And I think it's incumbent upon us to really confront them. Uh, and I'm as angry not only as, uh, at them as I am at the people who keep silent. Yeah. With clergy who don't spew that hateful rhetoric, but are silent, and other professing Christians who are silent in the face of that kind of nonsense. I just posted something just today um, uh, of this uh, uh, quote-unquote Bishop Owens in Washington, D.C., who said the, among the most hateful things I, I've even read, I've read a lot of uh, I've even read about gay people. Uh, it's just, um, and it's, it's met with silence. It's mm. met with silence. And I think it's incumbent upon us to really speak out, uh, not only among ourselves, of course, which I, I think we should, but uh, out there, whether it's letters to the editor, whether it's, um, whether it's talking to uh, people in the congregation, to the uh, clergy themselves, or whatever it takes, but not to allow this to go unanswered. Well, and I think that especially in the gay and lesbian community, and, and even probably in the straight community, um, folks really don't know their Bible, and they don't understand when someone comes at them and says, oh, well, Leviticus says it's an abomination. They just go, oh, okay, because they have no idea how to actually say, well, okay, this is what abomination really means, and this is where it really comes from. It's hard to have that conversation when we don't have the catchphrases like they have on the other side. Yeah, and I think that the other thing, Candace, to kind of answer your question, and and this is kind of um, indicative of what I think Pastor Andy was heading towards, um, is that this this really is a kind of about power and control. I mean, when we get into the New Testament, um, despite the evangelicals. Uh, fervor about what Paul says and and so forth and so on. The, the problem that you have with the New Testament is that Jesus never addressed the issue. Never said anything about it. And so when we, when we start talking about the Bible, because I've noticed that in all the years that I've been a pastor, um, that the first thing they hit me with, nine times out of ten, is Old Testament stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's because, number one, we don't understand Jewish culture. It's it's not talked about. And secondly, the Old Testament is really about a heavy-handed parent, if you will, mm-hmm. it, from from the Christian perspective. And I hope nobody here that's on here tonight is Jewish because I, I, that is an insult. It, 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 it's, a, it's a history. It's, it's a learning process. And, and, and in all the stories that we have in the Old Testament, it's, it's God is being very heavy-handed. I mean, Onan got killed for being selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, whole cities were destroyed because they didn't live up um, to what God wanted them to do. But then we have a switch in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. And when Jesus comes along, God is not nearly so so in your face, because now God has provided Christ, has provided Jesus. And Jesus spends an entire ministry saying, this is what heaven is like. This is what God is like. And if you... 
if you believe what I'm telling you, then you will have a relationship with God and you'll be safe. Mm-hmm. And so what you end up with then is a, a, a whole bunch of pastors that the way to keep people in line is to keep them fearful. Yeah. And so you end up with a lot of of conversations where somebody will say, well, but Jesus said this. Well, right, but understand that God in the Old Testament said this. Mm. You know, and we never pay attention to that stuff. I mean, it, 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 it's really very, uh, you know, when I get called a heretic, you know, I wear that as a badge of honor because I think in following Christ, that makes us a heretic. He was a heretic. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to the uh, uh, the the Sermon on the Mount. Um, go back to all the different things that he talked about. He says, you know, um, you've heard it said, um, it, to what is it, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say. You know, he completely turned the understanding of God upside down. And it, and it and, and to me, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when you're a kid, your parent is pretty heavy-handed with you. You, you. you get told where you can go, when you can go. You don't get to make any choices about the food you eat, etc. But somewhere along the line... You start to grow up, and you start to mature. And if you look at Scripture that way, then you've got this wonderful story, this exciting story of the creation and how God nurtured us along. And we finally reached that maturity level in the creative process. And, 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 And God said, look, you know, I don't have to... To, to grab you by the hair to get your attention. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you this fella who's going to teach you. And then Jesus turns around and says, and by the way, when I'm gone, God will provide you with a spirit, that, that, that comforter, so that when you have doubts, and, and, and because you're grown up, you're learning how to do things. And, and isn't that what we've done over a few thousand years? Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, what we do today in the way of technology, you know, just flying, they would have thought we yeah. were from the devil. <laughs> yeah. but, if, well yeah. but I think if you look at Scripture and you can sit there and go, oh, wow, man, this this really is about God as our parent. And you look at your parents. And, and and look at how you know they brought you up in the sense of the kinds of controlling things and when did they give you the opportunity to make your own choices and I you know because one of the things I remember my father always saying to me is yes you have a right to make a choice but understand with every choice you make there are consequences mm-hmm. and I think that if you do that with Scripture, as opposed to trying to understand it literally, but if you understand it as part of a journey and growing up, then it becomes an incredible book. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's wonderful, Paul. Anybody got any questions after that? Comments? 
We hadn't really talked about it, but I would like to ask Paul or, or Andy or any of you, um, we hadn't really talked about Genesis 1 which gets used against us a lot, especially with these marriage debates. And as I said before, the other side sort of has the pithy quotes, and we don't. So we often hear the, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, um, and which begs the question of who did create Steve, uh, <laughs> since Steve obviously exists. Um, but... I, I'm, I'm wondering when we get those pithy comments. You know, it's an abomination. God didn't create Adam and Eve, Adam and Steve. You know, how do we? Because our explanations are so lengthy, and we don't have pithy ways to, to say it back. Um, you know, how how can we approach those topics when we're when we're confronted with them? For me, it's to simply say that look, God is not that boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, my favorite story about understanding um, Genesis is that these were human beings trying to understand how they came into existence. Mm-hmm. And so they they wrote from their experience. They wrote um, from the stories that they had been hearing for literally centuries. I mean, by the time the story of Abraham... Um, sacrificing his, being willing to sacrifice his his son in order to to please God, and that that whole wonderful story of his relationship with God, uh, or the stories around um, uh, Sarah being barren, or all of that kind of stuff. It's it, it again. It's like you're writing this from your understanding, and if you don't know sexuality and all of its intricacies then you're not going to address what you don't know I've always said that I have never had a problem between evolutionary theory and the creation story mm-hmm. I think that that we're, we're talking about um, a, a theological spiritual understanding um, versus um, what we've managed to learn on that journey. Um, so I, you know, and maybe even that explanation is too long. <laughs> a, 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 a pithy saying. Well, and I always find it interesting uh-huh. that they want to they want to quote the creation story as as uh, this is the way it was. Yeah. And the thing that I've always brought up to people then is okay. If you're gonna if if you're gonna tell me that that's the way the world was created, um, and you're calling yourself a Christian, um, then you'll join with me um, as I make way to close down the banks. <laughs> no loaning money at interest. Yeah. yeah. Well, they they look at you and go, "What the hell are you talking about?" And I'm saying, well, Jesus said you're not supposed to loan money and charge interest. That's right. Well, you know, we got to pick at the red lobsters too. So, <laughs> all that shellfish being sold. But my my older brother um, had uh, had uh, mentioned to me about it not being Adam and Steve at one point, and I said, how do you know? Do you believe there was a scribe in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> Well, there was a scribe, and his name was Steve. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because it's God. 
if you're going to take it literally, there were two people in the Garden of Eden. Who was writing that stuff down? That's about as close as I've gotten to pithy. So, <laughs> but but at, at the very least, my brother, his eyes got wide real, for a second, and he went, "Hmm, I never thought of it that way." <laughs> well, and, and and you know, on the other side of things, um, I don't know how much time we have here, but also there there are some scholars out there that use and have tried to translate the word, and it's been a long time since I've read this. Um, that the word, the Hebrew word uh, that they ended up with uh, using for Adam and the word for Eve um, was oh, actually a, a uh, plural. It's, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, and it's a play on words too. But yeah, Adam means mankind. So, right. so that that so, God created mankind. <laughs> and 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 then you try to be logical. If you've got a hundred percent of the population that is procreating, we would have. Overfilled the earth long ago. Well, now, now you got to be careful, Paul, because you're wandering into you know why why gay and lesbian people shouldn't have children. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don't be giving any ammunition away. <laughs> okay, but I mean, you know, just the, the the simplicity of that is that there isn't a species that God has created that reproduces a hundred percent. Well, it's true. And I tried to and I tried to use that one, uh, you know, that, that homosexuality is uh, is everywhere in nature. Um, and I tried to use that on a, a, a conservative Christian talk show that I was invited to be on. And uh, the the pastor that was on there was very quick and said, "Well, that's part of the fall. God didn't intend for that to happen." <laughs> I said, "Well, it must be very nice to know exactly what God intended." <laughs> knowing the mind of God as you do, <laughs> he was not and impressed. If it was all about the fall, then 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 tell me the purpose of Jesus. I mean, why did he take the woman that was caught in adultery and 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 completely tell her that he didn't accuse her? It wasn't he dismissed the case against her. He just had no accusation. Yeah. And in the prodigal son, when Jesus is giving us that story, it, it says the kid starts to confess to the father that he's not worthy, and the, and the piece of scripture that we get at that point says, but the father wasn't listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm swiping that for my Ash Wednesday sermon. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's great. It is. It's I mean, good. Because <laughs> you, you, you sit there and you go, folks, you're being pretty inconsistent here. No matter how you try to understand this, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, again, it goes back kind of to what I was talking about earlier. If we look at the heavy-handed parent in the beginning, you know, like 1 mm-hmm. through 12, yeah. and then you begin to look at the easing off as, as we become more responsible and we learn more about creation. Um, and And I don't think Candace, that you're ever going to be able to come up, um, and, and actually, now that I now that I said that, mm-hmm. I, what I was going to say is, I don't think we're ever going to be able to come up with just a quick pithy saying yeah. that becomes like a McDonald's sign. <laughs> and, and, and the reason for that is because that's how people that are interested in power and control maintain their power and control. Mm-hmm. They find a few words that exact fear in you and therefore bring you back into control. In other words, we don't sit and talk to our dogs. 
uh, have a conversation as to why we don't want them to do something. We simply say no. Exactly. And depending on your tone of voice, the dog knows whether you're serious or not. <laughs> and, and, and again, I think that, that folks that are trying to keep themselves in positions of influence and make themselves feel good, um, that's why they can come up with those pithy little sayings is because, you know, if... If 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 I have to explain something to you, then I have to give you an opportunity to think. Mm. And I don't think that that most religious leaders um, whose whose credibility is based on you believing um, that they're the right hand of God um, can afford to start talking very much because once they start talking. And in and, and informing you of how good they are, they quickly fall. So I think that that that's probably part of the the uh, the game here um, is that they get all the pithy little sayings because most of their pithy little sayings are really just full of power and control words. Yes, very true, very true. Were there any other questions or comments? Has there been anything that we haven't said that you'd like to hear? Well, Paul, I... Well, a good thing you said earlier, Janice, uh, huh? maybe it's Paul, I don't remember, that I think we really have to encourage uh, churchgoers to read the Bible for themselves. Yeah. And not take anybody's word for anything. Because they're also, yeah. and nobody's talked about this, this brings a lot of money into the collection place. Oh, yeah. If one is homophobic at the pulpit and, you know, has fiery sermons, you know, week after week after week, it brings in money. Uh, from what I understand, and I got the second hand, so I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, <laughs> that every time Jerry Falwell, the late Jerry Falwell, sent out a mailer to his constituents soliciting contributions to fight against the quote-unquote homosexual agenda, he brought in millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. You know, these guys aren't making a couple hundred dollars a week. So it, it meets certain material needs, they, material desires they have, psychological needs they have, uh, social, political, all sorts of things. And um, part of the danger beyond what we're talking about is there's been an enmeshment with the most reactionary forces in secular society by much of the institutional church, and it's largely been around uh, GLBT issues. Well, and people are lazy. <laughs> well, there's a big old begat speed bump in there that just people just can't make it over that over those begats. <laughs> well, and the fact that people are lazy, they want to know. Uh, you know, Andy, you, you, I'm sure you face this, and I know Candace, you have, and I face it almost every day. When when people come and talk to the pastor, you could, in fact become their parent because most of the questions that they're asking you spiritually they want you to give them an answer so that they don't have to think about it mm-hmm. so they don't have to struggle with it and the fact of the matter is that God gave us a free will and and gave us the opportunity to think things through and learn I've been very fond of saying over the last two years that my ministry has been much more peaceful because it finally occurred to me that I cannot fix people. Yeah, yeah. That's true. But I do think that um, 
going back to what was said earlier about the silence of our straight allies, um, I think you can. I think if you follow the money, um, that, that you come with to an answer there as well. I remember vividly in seminary, um, in a Methodist seminary that I attended, asking all of these potential Methodist ministers if they were going to take all of these wonderful things we had learned in seminary that that really. Uh, you know, flew in the face of a lot of the things that were preached every Sunday morning. I said, "Are you guys going to take this stuff to to your churches when you when you graduate, or are you just going to you know do the candy coated sermons that keeps butts in seats and collection plates full?" And there was this audible gasp. I thought I was going to get jumped by divinity students on the way to the parking lot. <laughs> You know that of like, oh, how could you even think that we would, you know, that we would forsake our our uh, education? But of course they will, because they have careers that they need to um, uh, protect, and 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 if they're going to be Methodist ministers, then they have there is a there is a line they must tow. There's a theological line they must tow, and even here in South Carolina, when we were fighting the um, marriage amendment here, we would find straight allies. Andy can talk about this. We we found straight allies who were all over the churches in South Carolina, but they would not talk because they would lose their pulpits. They couldn't come out and support us. We find out exactly how hard it is to be a follower of Christ and and take seriously um, the verbiage that is attributed to him when he said that the greatest love that you can show for another is to lay down your life. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a real, real tough time with that. We have a tough time parting with our money in a tithe, yeah. let alone putting ourselves on the line for God's creation. And so... That's exactly, Candace has hit it right on the head. Um, we will do anything um, to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I often tell people, when you can follow the red letters, when you can follow the red letters and, 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 and have the conversation around that, then come talk to me um, about whether it's okay for me to, have an occasional drink or go out to the bar or, or God forbid, be an open, proud um, queen. <laughs> we are coming to the end of our time. If there is, um, if there are any other comments or, or questions, please toss them out here. I, I certainly appreciate what you've done. Great. Uh, it's refreshing and nice to hear. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. And by the way, for those who I didn't introduce, I didn't introduce Andy. Andy is the um, senior pastor at Garden of Grace United Church of Christ, where I'm the associate pastor in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And it's great to have him on the call. And Andy and I are good friends. <laughs> <laughs> we just poke at each other once in a while. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much, Candace and Paul. Thanks. Um, You're very welcome. I did want to wrap this up. The, uh, there was a um, in the packet. Uh, I made this uh, caveat uh, that, that I'll make every time we we study uh, the home, the Bible and homosexuality. Um, 
that even if the Bible does condemn all homosexual acts, even those that occur within the context of a loving, committed relationship, we really do need to ask ourselves if they still have any moral authority over us. You know, we've already decided as a society that the Bible's approval of slavery no longer has any sway for ministry, that's no longer binding over us. We've already decided as a society that the Bible's view of women as property is unfit, uh, that's no longer binding on us. We've decided as a society that people of different races are no longer inferior, even though the Bible's been used to justify those feelings in the past. We've discarded many things that the Bible says we must observe, including Jesus' direct command that a divorce is only permitted if the woman cheats. You know, so we have to consider this question that even if the Bible condemns homosexuality as we know it today, why should we as a society accept that condemnation now that we know so much more about homosexuality as a sexual orientation as not, and not as a mental illness or a defect? We know so much more about biology. We know so much more about sexuality and sexual orientation in general and in specific. How can we as a society even accept that condemnation when we've decided as a society that so many other things that the Bible approves of, we no longer approve of. But of course, I contend <laughs> that when we do read the Bible in context, there is no condemnation to be found of loving, committed gay and lesbian relationships. And that all the sexual acts that we've discussed here this evening are, are acts of brutality or idol worship. And we have to keep that in context that, that we understand that's not, that's not how we live our lives today. So there is no condemnation in the Old Testament for gay and lesbian Christians. And we will set a date for the New Testament um, teleseminar, and we hope that you'll join us then and we can have another wonderful conversation